Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Would you open your Bible to Acts chapter 14? We're going to be talking about joys and trials today. And uh, in the coming year, you're going to have both. So it's good to get ready for that. And if you anticipate both joys and trials, you can also kind of anticipate how you will deal with them. Since you know they will come, you can actually make a decision as to how you will respond to them. Whether you will respond to them in the flesh and with biting your fingernails and nervousness all the time, or whether you will respond to them knowing that God is on the throne and one day you will fly away. And until that day comes, hold on. The ride can get bumpy. And so this chapter is going to be, I'm going to show you a text. The Holy Spirit's going to show us a text, Acts chapter 14, with a lot of bumps and bruises, a lot of highs and lows. And, you know, that's just how life is. And if I was to add one word to this title, Beyond Joys and Trials, I would add the word bravery. What does it mean to be brave? If I were to ask you to give me a definition of bravery, You know, we might think, well, that's taking a hard stance in the midst of a difficult trial and and standing tall. And it can certainly be, you know, kind of a moment in life, but it's much more than a moment. I was reading one writer this week, and he said, bravery, and you might want to write this down for your notes, is the consistent devotion to a course or ideal, even when it is bumpy and challenging and tempting to give up and go another way. Bravery is holding to your course, even when it's hard. Someone once said that courage is not the absence of fear, it is doing the right thing even when you are afraid. And if you like the cowardly lion in that whole movie, you know when he was at the witch's castle, finally for Dorothy's sake, he said, I'll do it. Wicked witch or no wicked witch, I'll tear him apart. He said, I just have one, things to, one thing to ask of you, fellows. They said, what's that? He said, talk me out of it. <laughs> Remember that? That's kind of the way it is in life. You know, we know the right thing to do, but sometimes we're looking for somebody to just talk us out of it. You know, maybe there's an easier course, but to face that which we have to face with bravery, we don't have to do it alone in the Christian life. That's the good news. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his power. And we can live for something that is transcendent. So many empty people walking around because they're living just for what is now instead of what will transcend life, eternal life. Promises that go way beyond this life. That's what we live for and that's the message that we share. It's a message of hope. It's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts and just thank you for the exploits of Paul and Barnabas uh, we are going to watch a bumpy ride in this next chapter, and it's you know it is life. I mean, it's ministry, but it's also life that we have joys and trials. Let us be people who are brave in the truest sense to hold our course, to be mission minded. Missions is really the spirit of Christ in us, moving through us. That's what we see in this particular chapter. And when we have our mind mission set, mission minded. Well, we tend to rise above all the minutia that we can get so 
caught up in and we can uh, waste our time there instead of realizing that you have a purpose for our lives. So help us in this chapter to listen to your voice and to respond in a way that you would have us to respond. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now last week we uh, looked at this map and we charted the first missionary journey in the book of Acts. And if you just kind of follow the line up, you'll see going up to uh, uh, Syria, Antioch, Syria, where they were first called Christians from Jerusalem down in the bottom of the map. Then out to the island of Cyprus, which is Barnabas' hometown, and up into the area of Asia Minor. Remember they landed probably at, at Italia, went through Perga, and up to Pisidian Antioch. And then we're going to follow the missionaries, if you continue to follow the map, to a place called Iconium, which is the middle of Asia Minor. Terry, would you fast forward the map for a second? I'm going to show you a modern day map so you can see. So the area of Asia Minor above the, uh, the word Turkey there, or the country of Turkey, you're going to see a place called, I think it's called Konya. It's actually down below the word Turkey, Konya. And that is the area of ancient Iconium. There are some scholars that believe that the Greek word icon, you know, we see icons on our computer, but the, the Greek word icon has the, the idea of who Christ is, and it means the word image. And that word might come from the city of Iconium. And the word icon in Greek means the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus is the icon of God, and we're going to see him preached in this area. Terry, keep on going. So this is the city of Konya now, modern day picture, and, and then go one more, Terry, if you would. And then this is, it was known for, uh, you know, really fertile plains and sitting at the base of the Taurus Mountains. And so this is the area where Paul and Barnabas are going to now go minister. But before we go there, let's pick it up in verse 50 in Acts 13. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence. This is now in Pisidian Antioch as we've just tracked the map. Acts 13, verse 50. And the women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their, of their feet in protest against them and went to, here's the city that we mentioned, Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're looking at a coming year with all the joys and trials, one thing that you have to decide early on, since you know that they're both coming, is whether you will shake things off or get shook up. Now, I'm a Little League coach, and when my kids were small, you know, we would uh, try to have them overcome fear in the batter's box. And the little kid would get in there and the big bruiser's on the mound, right? And, and of course, one kid gets hit and everybody's scared. So little Johnny takes it and and he has a moment of decision. And the coaches usually say, shake it off. Shake it off and run to first base. And don't rub it. I want to rub it. Don't rub it. <laughs> a little time. <laughs> He's trying to go to first base, looking like a tough guy, right? Well, they shook off the dust off their feet. And in life, that's kind of the way it is. We can shake things off or we can let them shake us up. And we need to keep moving forward, and that's really what last week was all about, moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. So they went to Iconium, and the disciples, and I think this would include both Paul and Barnabas and those that they left behind in the city, largely Gentiles, 
who had believed were, notice Acts 13, 52, were continually filled with joy. Boy, that would be a nice thing to say for this upcoming year that we are continually filled with joy. Now, joy is not a plastic smile. I think you all know that. It's not walking around, how you doing? How you, how you doing? That's not what it's about. Joy is a deep-seated sense of security in Christ. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And that is one of the fruits that he produces in our life. And they were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Those two are definitely connected. There were a group of people left behind in the city of Pisidian Antioch, jealous and there were joyful. Which are you? Jealous or joyful? What do you want to be in the upcoming year? Well, so now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 14. With that background in mind, we're going to see a very adventurous and bumpy and joyful chapter. So this is Acts chapter 14 as we track the first missionary journey. And it came about, Acts 14.1, that in Iconium, which was a Roman province in the area of Galatia, but largely a, a, still a Greek city, they entered the synagogue. Now, whenever they had a synagogue to enter as a point of contact, they would do that since they were Jewish. Jewish. They entered the synagogue of the Jews together. It's always good to do ministry with someone together to make you stronger. There's Paul and Barnabas. And they spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed both of Jews and of Greeks. So another opportunity to speak. NIV says they spoke so effectively that a great multitude of people believed. So early success and a definite blessing. Here you go in the synagogue, don't know quite what to expect. Preach the word and a bunch of people respond positively. Look at verse 2. But the Jews who disbelieved, NIV says, refused to believe, and this uh, ties back to Acts 13.46. Take a peek at it with me. Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13.46, spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it, literally means to push it away, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And so those who had disbelieved or refused to believe, stirred up, means to excite against the minds of the Gentiles, and embittered them, if you have the ESV or New King James says, poisoned their minds against the brethren. So a bunch of people believed, and they were encouraged, and then other people who had pushed away the gospel, poisoned the minds of the believing people. Now, it's not enough for some people just to be against Christianity or think it's nonsense. They have to poison other people against it. We have atheist groups now. They argue about everything from Christmas trees to manger scenes to crosses on, you know, uh, over military funeral sites. You name it, there they are. Not just saying, I don't believe in Christianity, but opposing it at every turn. If a school tries to be in concert with Franklin Graham's ministry to send shoeboxes and there happens to be a gospel tract in there, oh no, we can't have that happen. Not in this country that was founded on the Bible. That the Bible was the only really real textbook in schools for quite a long time. No, 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 no. We can't do that now. And they poison the minds of people. Uh, James 3.8 says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. Now, the people that were doing this were not atheists. They were other Jewish people. James says, with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, says James, these things ought not to be this way. That's why mamas in the past used to take soap to the tongue. You say, did that really come out of your mouth? You know, your mouth is a reflection of your heart. So if your mouth is not under control, you better take a look at your heart. If you can somehow compartmentalize your Christianity so that you're using all the church-isms here, and then the moment you're over there, you have a filthy mouth, check your heart. Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a story that occurred in New York City during a freak electrical storm. A couple was gossiping on the telephone. The storm caused a scramble in the electrical signals and sent their conversation from the phone line to the cable TV line, through which close to one million people were listening to their conversation. If we knew that more than a million people heard what was being said by us, would we change our conversation? But we see God is listening, and so is the NSA. So it doesn't really... Anyway. <laughs> but Psalm 15, verse 1 says, O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Spurgeon, in some old English language, but you'll get the gist, says these words. It is a fool who picks up stolen goods and harbors them in slander and robbery. The receiver is as bad as the thief. If there were not gratified hearers of ill reports, there would be an end to the trade of spreading them. Trapp says, Tailbearers carry the devil in their tongues, and the tail hairs carry the devil in their ears. The original language may be translated endures, implying that it is a sin to endure or tolerate tailbearers. We say call for the police when we see a thief at work. Uh, we feel no indignation when we hear gossip. Mad dog, mad dog is a terrible cry, yet there are a few canines whose bite is so dangerous as a busybody's tongue. Fire, fire is an alarming note, but the tailbearer's tongue is the fire of hell. Those who indulge it must mend their manners, or they may find there is a fire in hell for unbridled tongues. This is hard, but listen to this language. Our Lord spoke evil of no one, but he breathed a prayer for his foes. We must be like him, or we will never be with him. Close quote. Wow. Now that's the prince of preachers speaking to his congregation about gossip. Therefore, with all this poison spreading, you would think that the next verse would say, therefore they got out of town because everybody was against them. But look at verse 3. Therefore they spent a long time there. What? Sometimes you have to spend a long time with somebody getting the poison out. You know what I'm saying? People come out of cults and 
movements where they have been brainwashed and they don't change overnight, folks. They have been so indoctrinated that it takes sometimes years for them to be deprogrammed from the way that they have been taught. And so they spoke boldly with reliance upon the Lord, that's the key, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. God will bear witness to his word because he watches over his word to accomplish it, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. It's as though God was saying, oh yeah, you want to spread gossip about my guys? I'll continue to do signs and wonders just to confirm that they are true and they are the ones speaking for God. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided. And the city at this time was led by a group called the Demos, kind of citizens that led. And they didn't really, they were kind of not under Roman rule at this point. So the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews who were opposing and spreading these lies. And some with the apostles who were messengers of the Lord. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Do you remember the rest of the passage? For family will be against family when it comes to who Jesus is and whether or not they will live for him. That's the issue. Verse 5. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, so the gossip grew, rumors do weed, and now it turned into violence. They concocted a plan But they, that is Paul and Barnabas, became aware of it and fled. Now, it's one thing to be brave. It's another thing to be stupid. So they decided, you know what? We've we've heard that these people are after our lives and we're going to leave. And so they fled. One famous local evangelist said his favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 10, 23. Jesus said, whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. This is his favorite verse. Anyway, John Wesley once encountered a village bully when their carriages met upon a narrow road. The bully knew Wesley and disliked him and would not give him any leeway, staying in the middle of the road. John Wesley cheerfully gave the man the entire road, even though he had to turn into a ditch. As they passed, the bully said, quote, I never turn out for fools. And Wesley, all five foot two of them, responded, I always do. (laughs) So sometimes you got to turn away and move on where there are greener pastures. And so they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region. So if you take a peek up at the map, you can see that all of this is close together in uh, ancient Asia Minor. So... They have now gotten the boot of disfellowship in back-to-back cities, okay? Booted out of this city, booted out of that city. Joys, because many people believe, but trials, because a lot of people, not only did they dislike them and poison people against them, but they were at a contract out on their lives. Now, when you were making travel plans for the next city, what would you say? You know what? Maybe we should take a city off. You know, maybe... I'm sure the Lord will understand. We preach in that city, booted out. We preach in this city, a contract on our lives. Maybe we should take a little vacation. I need a vacation. I don't know about you, Barnabas. I know you're the son of encouragement. I need a vacation. Let's take one city off. But no, verse 7 says, and there they continued to preach the gospel. That's bravery. And at Lystra, there was sitting a certain man without strength. Now, Lystra apparently didn't have a synagogue, so they couldn't go there. So 
I think they just started some street preaching. There was a certain man without strength in his feet, verse 8, lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, verse 10, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. Uh, Dr. Barnhouse comments. There have been numerous times in my own ministry when, while I was speaking from the pulpit, I've seen a response on some particular face in the audience, and I knew the Holy Spirit had began a work of grace in that person. Frequently, after the meeting was over, that person would come to me and tell me that at that precise moment, he knew, he just knew, that Christ had died and risen again for him, and that he was truly born again. Some years ago, there was a person that died in a well-known company, and I was asked to do the service, and a bunch of the employees from this company came to this memorial service. And so there were probably 50 to 75 people, all from the same company. And I began to preach the gospel and memorialize this person, and I saw a young man in the back. He looked like he was about 30 years old, and he was just tracking and locked into everything that I was saying. I could just see it on his face. And so when the service was over, there was a big line and kind of a food buffet line. And I happened to be standing in that line fairly close to the young man. And he walked up to me and said, can I talk to you, Pastor? Can I talk to you over here? And I said, sure you can. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm a backslidden Christian. He said, I knew the Lord. I was walking with the Lord. And I left and I've done all this dumb stuff. And I've been away for so long. And as you were preaching... The Lord was just grabbing my heart with verse after verse. And one verse that I had shared, I said uh, from Jesus' uh, own lips, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And so this young man said, I want to make my soul right with the Lord. And we, off to the side of the buffet line, he rededicated his life to Jesus Christ. And I could tell during the service that the Lord had done a work in his life and he approached me and praised God, he recommitted his life to Christ in the face of death and difficulty. And Paul said with a loud voice, seeing the work of grace in this man's face, he said, stand up on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. Now keep in mind, he had never walked before. I remember hearing Chuck Smith now home with the Lord said that one day he was preaching and, and people uh, came up, they had their grandpa in a wheelchair and they wheeled him up and they wanted prayer. They wanted Chuck to pray for him. So Chuck just said he got a moment of a, a boost of faith, a gift of faith from the Lord and grabbed the guy's hand and pulled the grandpa out of the wheelchair. And the grandpa was walking around and the kids told Chuck later that they had wheeled grandpa up because he had a cold and they wanted Chuck to pray over his cold. <laughs> he said, walk! You never know what the Lord will do, right? And so he leaped up. This is similar to what happened to John and um, Peter at the temple. Remember, they, they preached silver and gold we don't have in the name of Jesus Christ rise. And so this man is leaping around. You know, he's never walked before. Can you imagine how happy this guy's got to be? He's, I'm sure, hollering, yipping, you know, praising, whatever. And when the multitude saw, verse 11, what Paul had done, 
They raise their voice. So no synagogue. You can't start from the Old Testament, so God just provides another way. Rather than using Old Testament prophecy from the platform of people who already believed in the Old Testament scriptures, God does a healing to grab the people's attention. So God can adjust to whatever circumstances are going on. But the multitudes, when they saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language. And I would assume that Paul and Barnabas didn't know Lyconian. So it was probably hidden to them. They said, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now, is that a wrong interpretation of what's happening? Yes. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. In Acts chapter 14, we see the Apostle Paul going out, and as he goes out, there is persecution. Acts 14.2 says the Jews who disbelieved or disobeyed or actually refused to believe in the NIV stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them or poisoned their minds against the brethren. Here's just a thought. When we are out on the front lines and we are sharing the gospel, sometimes the reception can be good and sometimes the reception can be not so good. And to be out on the front lines means you can possibly get both. And I think people who are in areas where it's a little bit more hostile to the gospel experience more of this, and, and probably people who are sharing the gospel regularly experience more of this. But it's worth the risk. And the reason is, is because we know the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if we believe that, if we believe that heaven and hell are on the line and people need to hear the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? How are people going to respond unless they hear? Well, <clears throat> then we've got to take the risk. We've got, to, we've got to go out there. And when we do that, sometimes the city will be divided. And, and this is what happened in Acts 14.4. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And what it called the early followers of the Lord to do is to rely more upon him uh, for their power. And I think when we take steps of faith, here's an application. When we take steps of faith and we step out of our comfort zone and we go out to do the Lord's work, we're going to have to rely upon him. And the Apostle Paul, you know, he, he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Uh, he wanted people to hear the truth. And so in doing so, he put himself out there and some people believed. Let's focus on the positive. Some people believed. Some people responded well. Some people sided with the apostles. And that is what we're going to get in evangelism. We may not get everybody who responds, but some are going to believe when we preach the gospel because it's inherent with God's power. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. 
You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.